This week on Punch Mountain, what Steel Magnolias could have been if you just gave Shirley MacLaine more weapons training. Dig that shark tooth out of your shoulder because we're watching The Woman King. Punch Mountain starts now. and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. Hey, we don't make the mountain, we just climb it. Come down. My name is Mac Blake and I'm joined as always by your podcast lion. Some might even call him the Lion King. Trademark and copyright, 2023 David Hada. Mr. David Hada, how are you? Calm down, calm down, calm down. I'm doing well, Mac Blake. <laughs> that was we're doing Transformers, right? That was yeah, that was your impression of Optimus Prime from the movie Transformers? No. Wait, yes. I think Jazz was acting up, right? That's right. Jazz was getting ready to pee oil on somebody, and so it was like, oh, stifle your hose, uh, Jazz. Jazz, what is with you? Or whatever. <laughs> the reason we know that Transformers movie, that Michael Bay movie, so well is because we did a show with Master Pancake Theater where we where we made fun of the movie Transformers. That movie was hard to watch at times, David, and I feel like I've seen it over 35 times at least. That sounds about right. And so it's, you know, calm down, calm down has really just entered my vocabulary where if I'm going to say calm down, I'm going to say it three times like Optimus Prime. And that's an odd souvenir from a movie like that. Yeah, that happens with a lot of movies is they have little odd souvenirs, little pieces of random dialogue you can never shake. Hey, David, I'm excited to talk to you tonight. Not for normal reasons, like we like each other, but because we're talking about The Woman King. It's a movie. I'm very happy to be talking about The Woman King. Excited to get into this episode. You know, we, we did Top Gun last week, and that's the movie that like the world talked about. It, it was the highest grossing movie of last year. So by the time we got to talking about it, it felt like I was joining the conversation way, way late. So this is nice to join the conversation on this one while it's still in its nebulous stages, or at least it feels like to me, like... Uh, it, it didn't feel like a ton of people talked about this movie, uh, and I was doing research on it, and I was expecting to see it be a bomb, but it made it made a profit. It did sixty seven domestic against a fifty million budget, so so you know it wasn't a bomb. So at least it wasn't a failure. Uh, but like a fifty million budget for this movie, this looks this looks expensive. This looks lavish and rich, and this is also a PG thirteen movie, which blew my mind. So this movie gets a lot out of a little. This movie, it's a great value movie. It's a great movie, but uh, I'm excited to talk about it. How about you, Mac Blake? So yeah, we were planning on doing this movie, and, and coincidentally enough, like the the week before we were going to record this episode, it popped up on Netflix, and as of right now, I think it is the number one movie on Netflix. So yeah, hopefully more people will discover it, because more people get to see Viola Davis as an action hero. I love it! I'm, I'm already a sucker for when you have really respected dramatic actors decide to kick ass. I mean, I say that, but I still have not seen Colin Firth uh, murder 90 people in that Kingsman movie because I'll, I, I don't want to. Uh, but one day we'll probably have to because of this fucking podcast. <laughs> but yeah, Viola Davis, I mean, she's been a badass for a while, but shes I don't think she's been like a physical threat. Like, I don't know where her badass exactly started because I started looking up her on IMDb because I was like, oh, was it, uh, you know, was it Suicide Squad? And I was like, oh no, she played kind of a tough as nails person and Black Hat too, not a, movie a lot of people saw i guess but my point is david as far as i know i think this is the first movie where she's like a physical literally kick your ass badass because she was in widows yeah i mean she definitely caps some dudes in that film but i don't think she like chops them up with a sword so it's awesome to see a kick-ass actor like Vela davis actually kick some fucking ass hey david before we go any farther i think it would help if we cleared up some common questions if you searched the woman king on google 
It lists these frequently asked questions, so we'll do some quickly provided answers. David, is Woman King based on a true story? No, it wants us to believe that Viola Davis lived in the 1820s. Nice try, movie. Mac, was the Woman King filmed in Africa? Yeah, most of it was filmed in South Africa, but some of it, David, was filmed on the CBS lot. That's why James Corden is in the background in so many shots. Is the Woman King streaming anywhere? Everywhere the light touches. Wait, you said the Woman King? I'm sorry, I don't know. Uh, Mac, what is the plot of the Woman King? It's about a group of intrepid explorers discovering the word queen. Before we dive into the epic story of a fierce warrior coming to terms with her past and working towards a brighter future, let's spend a little time building a friendlier present with some fierce friends. Us, David, I'm talking about us. Do a friendship check-in. How are you? I'm good, Mac. Time has flown by on me. Uh, I had all kinds of projects and I got them done. Uh, I like playing baseball online on the PS4. And so they're getting ready to release the new this year's edition. And so they're letting uh, players tech test it. You know, they're releasing it early so you can work out the bugs and stuff like that. Well, that's cool. It's super cool. It, it's I, It got me from, I don't want to play this game anymore, to maybe I'll buy this game. But like the tech test window was like six days long. And I remember seeing it just the other day going... I can't wait to try this out. And today it is gone. So like, I I don't know where my time is going back. Yeah. My time management's no good. Uh, I can't even make no time for, uh, for debugging games, Mac. Do they, do you get anything for that? Do they pay you? Do you give like uh, baseball bucks? No, it really is just, Hey, get a sneak peek at this game before we we release it in four weeks. And I'll tell you what, I'll let you in a little bit because it's a, it's a very stripped down version of the baseball game. You know, it's like, oh, collect some cards, build your team, use that team to play online against other people. So I spent most of the other day collecting cards and just opening packs and going, wow, these are really cool cards. Never using them, never playing them. So that's, that's really all it took for me to enjoy it. And I, I got my money's worth. Were you opening digital cards or real world cards? <laughs> digital cards, digital packs for... For the players that you'll use in the video game. Oh no, David! <laughs> Look at your bank account right now. How how much of that money is in crypto? Oh, four hundred percent, which I did <laughs> oh, not realize no, was a thing you could do. I think they got you. I think those were NFTs, David. Oh no! I know. How are you, Mac? I'm doing good, David. I am in a process that every man must go through at some point in his life, which is buying new pants. David, because I am a tall man, I cannot just go to a store and say, "Bring me your tallest pants, sir." Uh, I have to order them online, even though it's just, they're just normal pants. So I, of course, David have to now order six pairs and try them on and then mail back five. Uh, so right now my room is full of pants and I hate it. See, I went the other way where I just stopped going outside in the outside world. So I'm like, I'm all robes. I'm all pajama pants. It's really great. Well, I would love to just keep wearing my current pants, but I have the amazing ability to, uh, spill stuff on my pants as fast as possible. And now that I have a, a child, who I have to mention every episode, the time from clean to soaked is just insanely short. I got a, a current pair of pants. I think it's my favorite pair of pants. I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to get a big hat. I hope they're not listening to this. But uh, I, I put them on and then I, I was at a store buying some stuff and I looked down and the, my pants are stained. And I was like, what the fuck is this slime on my pants? And I rolled the dice and I wiped it with my hand and I didn't lick it, David. I'm not a maniac. Okay. Of course. I did smell it, though, and it was children's toothpaste. It was uh, the un- unforgettable, like, I don't know, fake sugar, like, I don't know, xanthan gum or whatever it is, xylit, I don't know. <laughs> but that fake sugar that's in toothpaste that makes it sweet but also uh, terrible. That's a bittersweet victory. Uh, you know what? Take it as a full victory. That's like opening Al Capone's vault and just finding, like, a bunch of bazooka gum. It's like, you know what? I'll take this. Yeah, that's true, because the other day I got a stain in my pants, and I touched it, David, and it was a live cobra. 
No. I got I got snake poisoned. Oh, speaking of bid me, David, I got I got the fever for watching movies. Were you ready to do this thing? Matt, grab your machete. We're going in. I'm sorry, David. I have my copy of Machete here. Did you were we doing that movie tonight? No, no. There's they use machetes in in the movie The Woman King. I was just saying grab your metaphorical machete. We'll do okay. that in a few weeks. Don't worry about Good, it. Good, because I don't I don't even like holding that movie. So David, from theatrical release to streaming is a pretty short window for this movie, The Woman King. And I didn't really see too much about it other than uh Viola Davis is an awesome warrior in it. So I'm kind of going in about as fresh as you can get these days. What about you, David? Do you have a history with The Woman King? Is this your first time seeing it? This is my first time seeing it. This is, yeah, you know, I know very little about it. This is just pure anticipation is what's fueling my enthusiasm for this movie. This was one, I was very excited to see it. I saw how much effort was going into the the fight training, the making of the movie. There was a lot of effort being put into it. And then I saw that Viola Davis was the star of it. I'm a huge Viola Davis fan. She hasn't quite become the seal of approval for for projects where like, I don't think a project is good because she's in it, but I know she's going to be good in it. So like, I didn't quite like the Suicide Squad, but she was great in Suicide Squad. You know, this all kind of came together for me and I was hoping it would come out soon so that we could, you know, watch it streaming and that everybody else could as well. So I'm excited to watch it. Okay, David, just a level set. Can you give people the back of the box description, even though I don't, does a box exist for this film? This one came out on Blu-ray. I was very happy to see that uh, there was actual copy written for this one. Inspired by true events, this is the remarkable, action-packed story about the all-female unit of warriors who protected the African kingdom of Dahomey with skills and a fierceness unlike anything the world has ever seen. Follow the epic and intense journey of General Naniska, Oscar winner Viola Davis 2016 Best Supporting Actress Fences, as she trains the next generation of recruits and readies them for battle against an enemy determined to destroy their way of life. 2022, 135 minutes, directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, rated PG-13 for sequences of strong violence, some disturbing material, thematic content, brief language, and partial nudity. That is a lot for a PG-13 movie. That's a pretty solid back-of-the-box description, David. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, you didn't write it. Why are you saying thank you? Uh, now, Gina Prince-Bythewood, is that how you say your name? That's how I'm saying it, yes. I went. I was like, what else did she direct? She did Love and Basketball, which is a classic film for a lot of people. But also, she did the action movie The Old Guard, starring Charlize Theron as an immortal. So, <laughs> I don't know why she got that voice tilt. Uh, so this person, she's got some action chops. She's directed an action movie before. This is, this is nobody's, nobody's first rodeo, David. Yeah, and that's one of those pandemic titles where I'm excited to see, you know, because like, yeah, The Old Guard, I completely forgot about that one. I'd love to dig that one up and see how good that one is. Yeah, you can forget about it. It was pretty forgettable. Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. How's this thing start, David? Well, I'll tell you what, Mac. Do you remember the back of the box? I do. Well, that's the opening title card of this movie. We learn that the Agogie are the all-female fighting force led by a General Naniska, played by Viola fucking Davis. The Agogie have sworn to protect the people of Dahomey against the rival Oyo Empire. The Oyo have partnered with the Mahi people to raid and pillage the kingdom of Dahomey and sell off the captives to European slave traders. So let's go raid the Mahi village in the middle of the night for our first action set piece. The Ogogie ain't nothing to fuck with. So, Mac, we start with that classic TriStar logo. We get the Pegasus, our old friend. This is going to be like the Wolf Brand Chili of production cards because I saw it and I was like, how long has it been since I saw a TriStar picture? And I'll tell you what, Mac, it's been too goddamn long. The TriStar Pegasus is looking good, though, David. I don't know when I got this makeover, but I certainly do not remember it. Because the one I remember is like... A old footage of a horse with some animated wings, like not really in sync with the horses it runs, but this thing's looking good. 
TriStar Horse, whatever you're doing, I want some. You know what I mean? This movie starts hot because you see uh, some people. I guess they're the Mahi warriors. They're sitting around a campfire and they hear a noise out in the bush and they're like, eh, it's nothing. And they even like laugh at the dude who reacts. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, David, there's some fucking murderers out tonight because it is the Agogia. And it's an awesome shot. They stand up uh, in the dark. They're looking fierce as hell. And General Niscavella fucking Davis, they take these dudes down. It's a, it's a, I think it's probably my favorite action scene of the movie. And it's, it's a really great uh, start to this thing and real, real visual feast. And that's my first markout moment, honestly. Because at first you see a few of the Agogia and then the Mahi tribe is like, oh shit. And then like so many rise up and you're like, oh, you guys are fucked. <laughs> They're going to kill the fuck out of you. And so, yeah, it was real cool. David, what did you think about this fight? I thought it was great. It, I didn't quite mark out the same way that you did, but it's a very cool way to meet these characters, you know? Because, yeah, like you said, the uh, the Mahi are just sitting around. They hear noises. They watch the birds flutter. There's no worry in them. So I'm very happy to just, like, watch them get massacred. I'm like, well, you, you slept on the wrong people. I like the sixth grade dance element of this fight where everyone kind of partners up. There's no two-on-one. There's no, there's no scrums. It's like... Man to woman, man to woman, man to woman, man to woman. I, I liked it overall. I thought it was a very good way to start this movie. Yeah, but in this fight, they're like hacking each other apart with uh, some swords and, and spears and knives. And I was like, you know, I don't see a lot of blood in this movie. And I paused it, looked up the rating, and I was like, PG-13? It confused me. Okay, if you make this thing PG-13, it's going to be awkwardly bloodless, which is fine. But this movie should be extremely bloody. Maybe they just thought it'd be ridiculous. I don't know. What did, you, did that bother you at all? It kind of bothered me a little bit, I guess is what I'm getting at. A little bit, I guess. I think, you know, the PG-13 of it all is just to cast as wide a net of you as you can, because this is the kind of movie that you do want kids to see. So if you make it an R-rated movie, that kind of keeps them out of it. Why do we want kids to see this? I think it's a cool movie, and we'll talk about it later, but I think it's a cool movie to watch in school. It's history, but it's a very extreme version of a history. I, I don't know if we should call this thing history, David. Uh, we'll get into that later, but I... I mean, look, I watched the movie Gandhi in school, and a lot of that movie was made up. So yeah, you could watch this in school. Here's the thing with this movie, David, and we'll get to it later, but there's some pretty glaring factual inaccuracies in this thing. And also, the character of Naniska probably made up. I wouldn't teach this in, I would teach this in school, but maybe not history class. Oh, sure. Fair enough. Okay, that's fine. But back to your point about, like, just, you know, PG-13, could it have been R? This movie is plenty bloody for me. This movie is plenty violent for me. And I'll, I'll point to my first markout moment. We're going to meet a character that we'll see throughout the movie. She's going to be named Izogi. And she's going to be played by Lashana Lynch. You know her from Captain Marvel. She has her fingernail sharpened into, into claws. And she uh, stabs a guy's eyes out. And I was not expecting that. I certainly wasn't expecting it this early in the movie. That's going to be my first markout moment. Yeah, a lot of very cool action in this scene, including what you just mentioned, which is great because, you know, I like it when action scenes kind of like differ up the action. Like, oh, I'm attacking with a sword. This person is gouging some eyes out. But you're right, David. You know, I, do I want to see the R-rated version of an eye stabbing? I sure don't. So the Agogia return to Dahomey victorious, but Naniska knows that it's only a matter of time before the Oyo army attacks and that she'll need stronger warriors. Sounds like a good time to meet Naui, played by Thuso Umbedu, an unmarried 19-year-old Dahomey girl with some crazy ideas about marriage. It seems that Naoi doesn't want to be forced to marry some old strange dude who will definitely beat her. What? When crazy Naoi rejects the marriage, her father throws her in the army. Congratulations, Naoi. You've just been enrolled in a Gojie fight school. So David, Naoi is going to be a pretty big character in this movie. And this is how we meet her. She's just walking around the village, 
laughing and then people are her friends are like oh you don't know you got some news today you're getting married and she walks to her home and her dad's like uh, hey check out this dude you're marrying he and i think her friends were like he's probably rich and this dude turns around and he's old david he's a fucking old dude <laughs> so yeah this old dude immediately says i own three fields of palm trees you will work which is you know when i meet a lady that's what i tell her <laughs> that she's gonna be instantly put to work and then he's like you do not talk to your husband and then he slaps her immediately here's the thing they're not married yet you think that the dad would be like, whoa, I made a huge mistake and I have so much time to fix it. They're not married. I can easily be like, hey, beat feet, asshole. You're not hitting my fucking daughter. But instead, this dad is like, well, go on. <laughs> Love your new husband. So yes, fuck this would-be husband and fuck Nawe's dad. Who, yes, again, he's like, oh, you're 19. You're unmarriable, which I get at the time. Probably people were being married and having kids at an age I don't want to think about. But at the same time, so he's like, fine, you're going to go join the the only group in the kingdom where women have equal rights. Oh no, don't don't throw me into that pie store. I hate eating all that delicious <laughs> pie. You know, the re the restrained glee at times on Naoi's face, like in the introduction to, to fight school, and they're like, you know, the trade-off of being a warrior is that you'll never get married and you'll never have a kid. And just like, she's just like, hell yeah. <laughs> this is the life. Or, you know, this whole palace, the whole, you know, the, she's she's welcomed within the walls. And within those walls, only women, only the Goje women can live. And this feels kind of awesome. Like, I was just happy for those women. This felt like the, uh, the all-lady hotel and bosom buddies, where I was just like, men, stay out. Let them have their own space. Well, David, don't forget uh, some eunuchs can hang out there as well. Oh, some hope for me yet. But there's, <laughs> there's another moment where, you know, when Naoi's first, when she's first entering the palace and she's being shown around by, I believe it's uh, Izogi, and... Uh, you know, she, she's kind of taking it all in with this sense of awe because she's heard the story. She's heard the tales of like heads being boiled uh, in cauldrons, that sort of thing. And in fact, she sees a cauldron of like some dark liquid and she's kind of too scared to ask. And so somebody's like that, it's indigo dye. What did you think it was? And she was like, I thought, I thought those were heads. And Azogi is like, no, those aren't heads. And so she points somewhere else. And she's like, those are the heads. And sure enough, there's heads on a pike. And I was like, okay, that's great. I I'm glad they kept the heads. You gotta keep the heads. How else will people know that you're uh, good at killing? But let's meet the Dahomey King and professional robe model, Gezo, played by John Stinkin' Boyega. Naniska implores them to consider making money in other ways rather than their main export, selling captives for slave trade. How about palm oil instead? So Gezo implores Naniska to show him results, and he will consider it, much to the dismay of one of Gezo's wives, Shante, played by Jamie Lawson. Mac, John Boyega in this movie. He is all vibes. It is like, it's like watching Stevie Wonder the movie. It's just, it's the best. I was conflicted about John Boyega in this thing. His character is a younger king. And I think he's taken over for his brother, if I recall correctly, who, I don't know if he got a tetanus poisoning or was murdered. I don't recall. And so he is supposed to be like a younger, youthful king. And because, and I think John Boyega plays that well. But however, he just, at, at times, it, he's kind of hard to get a read on. And I feel like, man, John Boyega is so likable. Like, I think he's just so charismatic. And at times, I feel like he leans into being a little charismatic more than being sort of kingly. I would, I'm 80% of the way there on Boyega in this role. I just, I was, I'm not 100% behind it. The only other problem with uh, John Boyega in this movie, David, is he's acting opposite Viola Davis. And that is a tall order so maybe boyega did not shine as bright as viola davis is there's no shame boyega is great no I, I think he has fantastic moments in this movie but they happen to be not with viola davis i think when he's allowed to kind of do his own thing uh he's fantastic um 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll even kind of cover a little bit for them. You know, like you say, there is, there is an aspect to John Boyega where it feels like he's leaning on, you know, just hoping to coast on charisma. I feel like a young king would do that too. So it, it fit for me. Like, you know, the way he's playing this works. But, you know, the, the whole point of this scene or the whole point of the, these sequences here, Naniska is is imploring Gezo to, to try something else other than capturing enemy soldiers or capturing, you know, other villagers and selling them, selling them off for slave trade. She's like, we've got other stuff. We've got gold. We've got palm oil. We've got a third thing. And I'm still stuck on the first thing. Like, I almost wanted to look up the history of gold for a brief second to be like, surely they know by now that that's going to be pretty valuable. Yeah. So Gazer's having like a meeting of his like small council and they're talking about how their slave trade is going. And I'm like, wait, Dahomey is still dealing slaves. That fucking sucks. And then like a few seconds later, Naniska's like, we got to stop this slave trade. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) I'm on board. For a second, I thought I had to root for slave traders. Well, what am I watching? Uh, 1776? So we see Naniska interacting with Gezo. And then Gezo's got like, as far as I could tell, David, a bunch of wives or just a bunch of potential wives? Yeah, a bunch of wives. Yeah, I believe so. And it seems like the, the top wife here is Shante. Naniska walks in and Shante's like, why does he favor her? Are you stupid, Shante? Like, she's the general of the army. She gets fucking results. Why wouldn't he favor her? I mean, like, here's what I know about Shanti right now. She's a goddamn idiot. <laughs> just, am I am I smoking crazy grass right now? You know what I mean? It just uh, Shanti has uh, already dug herself a pretty deep hole with me. No, Mac, you're smoking pure tobacco. Uh, you're, you know, even the eunuch. You know, forgive me if that's a, a blunt term to use, but you know, one of the eunuchs basically says to her, "It's like, hey, she fought alongside him. You know, she defended him and saved his life. What did you do during that time? You hid in a cabinet. So I, you know." You best uh, watch your tongue, Shante. So I, I thought, uh, you know, I thought Shante was established very well quickly. Know your role, Shante. Okay, <laughs> you're the king's wife. She's the general. It's like you got different things going on. I don't know. Uh, so he, she's like, "Hey, we can make palm oil." And Gazo's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead and make that palm oil and let me know." It's like, God damn it! Doesn't Aniska have enough to do? She thought of the kick-ass palm oil idea. Now she needs to like be a captain of industry and like get that across. God damn. There's no rest for Naniska. She's just got all this. Uh, I just feel like she's got all this shit stacked on her. Of course, does she deliver? Yeah, because she's Naniska. She's great. She, no help. No help from these these clowns. This is a movie about the development of government agencies because uh, you need a director of agriculture to hand that off to. So she's not doing everything. Yeah. Later in the movie, Gazel's like, oh, we're going to need to throw a feast. Uh, go and prepare. And his wives just leave. I feel like as first as soon as they get out the door, they're like, "What the fuck? Who does what now?" Just, you know, these, these royalties, David. They don't, they don't understand what it takes to get shit done. But now he is given some wisdom by committee in the form of fellow Agoje Amenza, played by Sheila Atim, and the previously mentioned Izogi. And then it's time for weapons training using rope weapons, Mac. These aren't weapons. But after a fleeting moment of humility, now he grows into an exceptional student over the course of a training montage. This montage worked for me. I was okay with it. How about you, Mac? Yeah, so before the training begins, we get a little bit of the uh, Gojie's prisoner's philosophy. Or, excuse me, prisoner philosophy. So in the opening scene, the Gojie attack Amahi. Is that right, David? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Amahi villager encampment, and they took a lot of Mahi prisoners. Now, it seems like everyone else in this land, it would just turn them into slaves and sell them to some shitty euros. But the Gojie is like, hey, we only want you here if you want to be here, all right? Prisoners, we're giving you this option. You're free to go. However, if you stay here, you're going to get respect, three squares and a bed or whatever it is. But also, you know, you have to sort of abide by kind of our monk-like rules. 
And that's pretty fair. And then some prisoners leave and some prisoners stay. And the ones that stay, they're like, all right, you need to learn how to use your first weapon here. And your first weapon is a rope. <laughs> we also, we get to know Izogi a little bit better. Uh, she has a nice little moment with, with Naoi where Naoi is, is touching a spear and she gets chided for touching someone else's spear. And then Izogi kind of comes and is like, oh, don't, don't worry about her. But, uh, you know, you do need to go take a bath. Uh, you stink. And she gives her one rule of, of training. She says, always listen to Izogi. Uh, by the way, I'm Izogi. And so it, it's just, it's a cute interaction for me. I, I liked her just fine. I like Lashana Lynch in this movie. I think she does this role very well. David, sometimes when English-speaking actors have to play characters that are from Africa, and they do kind of like an African dialect. I know I'm being very broad when I say African is an entire continent. <laughs> I feel like, though, the go-to move is to talk slowly. And there's a little bit of this in that character. Izogi is like really putting on the charm. And at first I like, I did not know how to feel about her character because I was like, is this kind of cheesy? I can't tell. But yeah, she grew on me real quick. And then I think, I mean, as much as Viola Davis is a great part of this movie and probably the best part, I think my favorite part is Lashana Lynch. I think she's great at this. Izogi is like the heart of this, you know, movie. And yeah, she does a great job. Every time she's on screen, I, I enjoyed every scene she was in. Yeah, she's a great human touch. You know, you've got the very stoic and professional Viola Davis. So it's just nice to have have a look into the Agogier who are actually human beings. And yeah, I read an article about Lashana Lynch's approach to the character. And she was like, you know, I did not want Izogi to be just this like ultimate badass. I wanted her to be vulnerable. I wanted her to have what uh, some people might think of as like feminine qualities. I wanted that her to be a woman in full and not just be the a kind of like a caricature of like a, you know, a male badass or whatever. I think she hits it. Like a Zogi is warm. She is vulnerable and she still is a complete and total badass. So I think Lashana Lynch did an amazing job bringing that character to life. But she tells Nawe to go take a bath and Nawe does get in the bath and also in the bath. Can I say bath one more time? Bath, David, is Naniska. Nawe's like, oh, hey, you're Naniska. You know, I heard stories about you, but uh, I look at you now. You're just a person. Hey, shut the fuck up. Like, she pretty rude here. Just, and this is kind of my thing with this character. Like, she kind of just fluctuates between, like, okay, I'm going to head down, lean into this, we're going to do it, and then just self sabotaging in a way where she just needs to shut the fuck up. Uh, so, yeah, maybe this is the general. Maybe don't like shit on her the first chance you get. It's the movie really establishing her impetuousness. It's just like she doesn't care whose toast she steps on, even if it's the woman king, you know, and it, it does hit that note a little too hard. Uh, sometimes throughout the movie, but it's very, you know, established the, the Petulant Child 101, where, you know, she kind of has to have those moments of brattiness that are sometimes inexplicable. So we have our, our kind of like established Agogia warriors. We have Naniska, we have Aminza, we have Izogi. And then we have our new recruits. Nawe is one of them. And then we also have this other girl who was a prisoner, a Mahi prisoner, and she decides to stay and train to be an Agogia. Yeah, I, you know, I like her. To, I like her choice it's the night before the beginning of training the new trainees are, are trying to go to sleep and they're just sort of having a you know having a discussion why they're doing this you know and and the mahi girl says here i'll be the hunter not the prey and and that you know that was a very effective effective line for me there's a lot of lines in this movie that just have a, a weight to them some of these some of the dialogue in this movie kind of borders on like fortune cookie wisdom 
But then you just have really small moments like that that just that really have a punch to them. And I, I just wanted to give give that moment and give these moments credit. Yeah, I believe that character's name is Ode. Thank you. I was not. Uh, I, I lose the the second tier of of cast in this movie. It's really just the the primaries on this one. Yeah, the second tier, the new recruits, they kind of have their moment, but we definitely do not spend a lot of time with them, which maybe, you know, could have been fixed. But also, you know, looking over the script, it seems like a lot of stuff that was filmed maybe changed around in editing. Who's to say if that was already in there and just didn't make that final cut? But whatever, we're moving on. The training montage itself, you know, the training program itself is very effective. It, you know, it moves the movie along. Uh, there's a, There was a moment at the very beginning you know, like I said, everyone's given a rope for their first weapon. You'd have to learn how to tie the rope, make knots, you know, uh, you know, get to know this rudimentary weapon. And now he talks back. So Naniska says, get up, you know, and I immediately just I had a uh, dirty dozen flashbacks. I was like, oh, no, here comes Viola Davis, Davis's Lee Marvin moment, which when I say that out loud now, oh, hell yeah, I want a Viola Davis Lee Marvin moment. But uh, uh, I, I did get a little tense, but thankfully it didn't kind of it didn't work out the same way. Yeah, Naniska's like, okay, you want a weapon? Here, use my sword, chop off the head of this dummy. And now I can't even really lift the sword. And then when she tries to chop off the head of the dummy, she gets about like halfway into the neck of it. And then Naniska's like, yeah, step aside. And then she very easily chops the head off. But look, now I cut the head half off. It's not that impressive. Maybe, maybe she like halved him at the waist. I'm just saying, next time you got to dress down a recruit, you're going to really show him up, really show him up, Naniska. But there's another moment here where we see, just in case you didn't think that the Agoji were badasses, they do like a little, I don't know, co-training with the male part of the Dahomey army. And what they do, David, is this game of uh, chicken, but with a spear. So they, they rest the spear between them, right? And it's a double-edged spear or two knives and a stick. I don't know how they made it. But the point is, is both ends are pointy. So I'm going to rest one of these pointy ends against my chest. Ouch, that hurts. And then you rest the other end on your chest. Here you go, David. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. This hurts a little bit. And then I'm going to walk towards you, thereby forcing the pointing of the spear into you, but also into me. You see You see what I'm getting at here? And if I was any sort of man, I'd be walking right towards you, but I'm immediately going to back away. Yeah. And so that's what Azogi does. She's like, I don't care if I'm being stabbed as long as you're being stabbed. And the male army guy that she's going up against, uh, he calls chicken first. He quits. Azogi wins. Pretty cool. Because this is one of those scenes where it's like... Oh, they're so badass. This is how they test themselves. But like they're college age. This is no different than like the circle game or like, you know, ball checks or anything like that. It's just, it's the stupid thing teenagers do to prove their might. So in that context, it made a lot of sense. Yeah, I wrote down in my notes, dang, okay. Like, look, <laughs> it's nothing I want to do. You know what I mean? If someone suggests this to me and they're like, we'll prove who's tougher. I'm like, clearly you are. Let's not even, I don't even need to do this. You are the toughest person. I need to leave and go home. I think we get to see a little bit of the male part of the Dahomey army earlier in the movie. But do you get a sense that the Agogie, that it is a like a small, like if you take the entire army, that it is a smaller part of it? Does that make sense? Like a kind of a, like a specialized but smaller unit? I would say the Agogie are like the special forces. I think, I think the men are the general fighting force. They kind of they're the Coast Guard, I, I guess, in relation. You know, when you need your SEAL Team 6, you're going to get the Agogie. But it's such a small kingdom that it's kind of there's a there's a large overlap in that. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But it seems like to me that the Agoji are really training real hard. And I, I get that they are a special unit, but is the male army training this hard? And if not, you should. You know what I mean? Like 
I'm worried these dudes suck. Look, the Yaguji are great. They can't do everything. I just hope these these dudes are pulling their weight because they they suck at this fucking spear game. I, I get what you're saying now. Yeah, I would hate for them to like rest on their laurels and be like, I mean, we are men. <laughs> like, no, keep keep training. They, like, they fucking yeah. might. That's clearly what the Oyo do later in the movie. Spoiler alert. David, also during this training montage, there's some weird training music. And here's a little bit of it. That to me is is montage music if you're like doing something fun, like, oh, we're finally learning how to to uh, make friendship bracelets. Not like we're training to murder. You know what I mean? That's not like badass montage music. That's more like we're at camp and we're you know, it's kind of like the dirty dozen when they're acting like painting on their friends instead of painting a wall. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. You know, I, I don't mind it, I guess, for that same reason. It's a, there is a deer hunter quality to it where it's like the first half is them having fun and then the second half they're in the shit. But yeah, the the music, especially, oh, you know, I was going to mention it later on in the movie when it really hits, but Terrence Blanchard, his score, I loved it throughout the movie. But this is, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is a bit of a misstep. But Mac, when it comes to the Agogia way of life, now he seems to be getting it, then immediately doesn't get it at all. Now he gets in trouble for such no-nos as rigging the training dummies with explosives and flirting with the boys in the infantry, leading to a heated confrontation with Naniska. Naniska takes her anger to bed with her and has a nightmare, so Amenza offers to consult the Legba for a look into Naniska's future. Mac, so this explosives prank, Mac, what up? I didn't even get it at first. The Goji warriors, like, they chop the head of these dummies, and they seem to kind of semi-explode a little. And I was like, oh, I guess the, those dummies were just full of dust. The uh, the new recruits start laughing and like, wait, why did these heads explode? You guys fuck around with gunpowder? And they're like, yeah, we did, or something. Why are you pranking the Agogia, you fucking idiots? This was one of the more questionable decisions in the movie because Naui's absolutely getting it. You get the sense that she is at the front of her class, and yet she still has that that itch, that like pain in the ass itch that she has to scratch. And so like you're like, I didn't know it was a prank either. It was such a it was such a slight explosion that I thought it was just uh, one of the shittier special effects in the movie. I thought they were trying to like, whoa, you know, she she chopped it off so fast the head exploded. But no, it was just, it was a prank for no real reason. Um, yeah, that, that was a bit curious. But then Naniska decides to, you know, reprimand her a little, you know, she's a little impressed. She wants to know, hey, how did you make those explosives? But for the most part, uh, she starts to reprimand Naoi and they have a little bit of a back and forth where again, Naoi doesn't seem to get it. You like the guns? You enjoy practicing with the men in the infantry? I see you flirting. This is not allowed? You know it is not. Why not? The men who are soldiers have wives and children, but the Agogia cannot. How is that fair? Were you this arrogant with your family? No wonder they gave you away. It is you who is arrogant. I am a general. I have earned it. You have earned nothing. I should put you out. I, I think it is you who are arrogant. Joe, shut the fuck up. You can't talk to <laughs> Naniska this way. But David, I looked up the script for this because I wanted to get the, the dialogue down. In it, there's a couple interesting pieces of, of direction, which I, I felt kind of helped me with this because I'm wondering why Naniska is tolerating so much bullshit from Nawe. And the answer is, is because she's the only one giving her bullshit. Because in the script, it says Naniska is consistently surprised by Nawe, which is true. She's the only person that talks to her this way. And I, on some level, like Naniska likes it or she appreciates it or respects it, I guess is the word I'm looking for. 
But then when Aniska says, were you this arrogant with your family? And no wonder they gave you away. And then Nawe is like, I think you were arrogant. I just interpreted that as like, hey, stupid, you're stupid. Like that kind of just dumb, thoughtless comeback. In the uh, scripture, it says, this cuts Nawe, she lashes back. And we find out later that Nawe is an orphan. And so the reason why she pushed back is not because she's just in pushback mode necessarily. It's because Naniska hit a nerve. At this moment, I still am going a little bit confused as to like, what is fucking Nawe's deal? Because yes, she, like Izogi is spending time with her. It seems like she's getting it and she just doesn't keep getting it, which is fine. But then we get this same beat again and again and again. I'm with you. And and it's it's something that, you know, comes together, or at least for me, it came together Toward the very end of the movie, and we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. But it's you know it's basically boiling down the thought that hurt people hurt people. You know people wear the trauma, like you said. It's a very it's a very childish you know comeback. Oh, you're the one who's arrogant, based on what you jackass. But like it, it's this young kid who just has has been experiencing pain and trauma and doesn't know when someone's actually like when someone actually has their back. It's frustrating in the moment until you get to that payoff. But uh, yeah, it, it's a frustrating moment nonetheless. The next day, the Oyo arrive for their tribute, led by fierce warrior Obaade, played by Jimmy Odukoya, stirring up some painful memories for Naniska. Not happy with the Dahomey tribute, Oba makes a new shitty demand. Give me 40 Agoje, which gets negotiated down to 20, as tribute, or lose access to the trade port. Oba comes in for his tribute, which the Dahomey people are supposed to give him, and he picks up one of the rifles that's, in, you know, they're really just... You know, I think it was like piles of food and wares. They're really just giving them whatever they want. And so Oba picks up a rifle and he's like, this is old or broken. This tribute sucks. Like he's mad. And he's like, you know what? I want a new tribute. And he's like, give me some Magogie. And King Gaze is like, what if we don't, bitch? And then Oba's like, you can't use the port anymore. And Gaze was like, that's our port, stupid. And he's like, Oba's like, not anymore. It's Oyo terms now. And then, you know, Gaze is kind of like, uh, he's losing face here because his general is kind of talking down to him. And then he has like a little like uh, comeback about it, the horses, right? Yeah, he asks him. He's like, uh, you know, have your horses been uh, bitten by these flies? I don't want them to come down with the sleeping disease. Is that the most veiled threat? I, Mac, what is the sleeping disease? Is he talking about death and is he threatening death? Yeah, I think it is a threat, David, because immediately afterwards, Oba says, do you threaten the Oyo little king? So, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, it kind of was. Yeah, and, you know, he says sometimes a mouse can take down an elephant. You know, he's setting the stage for later. He's like, hey, you know, you you better watch out. Small things can take down big things. Uh, and again, it's it's that fortune cookie wisdom throughout the movie that I'm a sucker for. It, it's, it's working for me. But, David, yes, to your point, even though it is a threat, we got to do something about the sleepy horse disease. This is not good. Seriously, Oba, get your horses out of here. When Oba walks in, Naniska sees him, and she has a flashback, David. Uh, this flashback was to, it is to Naniska getting sexually assaulted by Oba. Of course, you know, I'm not a fan of seeing these scenes. I, I understand that we need to. But one thing I did appreciate about the flashback is that it was from her POV. And while that makes it, it gives that assault an immediacy, which is hard to watch, Something about when characters have flashbacks that are not from their perspective, that bothers me a little bit sometimes. I'll say this. I appreciate it when they do a POV flashback because then we're kind of seeing what they see. I understand sometimes the camera needs to be like a third person on flashbacks just to tell a story. Sure. Anyway, uh, the fact that it was a POV shot, I was like, oh, cool. And then also, oh, terrible. You know, that's, that's credit to, or at least I'll give credit to Viola Davis, uh, the, the entire production team on this one, because there's a lot of women in the credits when it comes to the crew. 
And when it comes to, you know, the producers, executive producers, Viola Davis is going to be one of the producers on this movie. You know, going in before we watched this movie, I did a little bit of research and I saw that, you know, sexual assault was going to play a very big part in this movie. But I trusted the team behind it. I trusted them to present this in a way that did make you feel it without being exploitative or without, you know, just leaving a bad taste in your mouth. So, so yeah, this this worked for me as well. Yeah, I agreed. It was, it was very effective. And one of those things where it's like, you know, not showing can be worse than, than showing if it had been like a, any sort of wider shot of that event, it would have terrible, but for this terrible in a different way, I guess. Good. (laughs) (laughs) But David, Oba's like, give me 40 Agogie. Then the King is like, no. And then he kind of has negotiates and he's like, okay, you can have 20. At this point I'm watching this, I'm like, 20 Agogie? I wrote in my notes, fake out, please. Like the fact that this dude is giving him up, I was like, this has got to be a trick. But then we see Naniska going around pointing at the different Agoje that are going to be given as tribute. And she looks like she's has like a heavy face. Like she's always like, oh shit, she's really giving them away. This fucking sucks. And at some point, Naniska's like, what do you want the Agoje for? Yeah, uh, we'll use them as uh, uh, guards. How about that? And I was just like, oh, that little pause. There's no way he's using them as guards. My chief concern is that they're going to be sexually assaulted. But then you find out he wants them as slaves because he thinks they'll fetch more, which is also fucking terrible. And so Oba's like, tell you what, I'm out of here. I'm going to leave my lieutenant, Boma, and some Oyo troops. They'll enjoy this feast, and I'll meet y'all at the port later. Bring my Gojie tributes. Uh, peace out. I suck. I'm the fucking worst. Bye. And so he leaves. And then Niska has kind of like a panic attack, basically. And Domenza's like, what's up? I know you. I can tell you're having a panic attack. Let's consult my, basically like consult the bones, but they're not quite bones. We must ask Legba. Oh, no, not the nuts. Do not call them nuts. They are sacred. I don't know why. A character like dunking on another character is like fortune telling or astrology kind of thing. Just be like, look at these dumb nuts. I just uh, made me laugh. I'm a nuthead, David. I like like nut jokes. Well, it's also that doesn't save it at all. It's like, hey, don't make fun of my pod collection. It's sacred. It's like, well, it doesn't make it any less of a pod collection, my man. (laughs) They're called milk caps. So back at the port of Oida, Portuguese slave traders arrived, played by the touring cast of Hamilton. They're just in time to see Naniska deliver to Oba the tribute of 20 Agogie warriors, but the Agogie are not the tribute. The basket of Oyo heads is. Choke on those, motherfuckers. The Agogie retreat to the boats, but Naui stays behind to help Naniska fight Oba. The helpful Naui gets an earful from Naniska for deviating from the plan, even though Naniska was carrying out a plan of her own to kill Oba. It's an action set piece we'll call Roll Heads and Roll Out. Oh, David, I need not have worried. I wanted it to be a fake out that they were willingly giving up Agogies, and it was a fake out. They weren't giving up shit. In fact, hey, Oba, here's the heads of your dude Boma and the other Oyo troops. We're going to roll them out like they're soccer balls. Go fuck yourself forever. This is going to be my second markout moment. I was not expecting heads in that basket. I was expecting some act of defiance or like, you know, some battle to break out, but she kicks over the basket, heads roll out. I, that's my second mark out. It's also my second mark out moment, David. You roll heads at an enemy, I'm marking out for you. Awesome move. I loved it. But then this plan quickly, you know, as far as me, the audience member, this plan quickly falls apart because I guess the intention all along was to was to kick and dump. It was like kick the basket over and then walk backwards away. Like it, it, it was pretty great. But uh, Naneska does not follow suit. Naneska's plan in her head all along is I'm going to kill Oba 
And Nami comes, you know, comes to help out. She, you know, she, she stays behind. And uh, that's not the plan. But the plan was to retreat to the boats. Like, I, I, I don't like it, but I also like it. It's really just the walking backwards that did it for me. It is a very weird plan. I agree. Because they do just like hear the heads and like, oh, no. And it's like, okay, got to go bye. And then they just like run to these boats. Like you just said. So yes, it is It is a very kind of weird like tease for no reason. I mean, I feel like they would have accomplished the same by just not going. You know, they just wanted to give a big fuck you to the Oyo, especially Oba. Because this is kind of setting up as Oba, he's the big bad of this movie, right? Because the Oyo are definite slave traders and they have their sights set on the Dahomey kingdom. And so this tribute that the Dahomey were giving them, or Agoji, even if they went through with it and turned over 20 Agoji warriors, it's given them massive cookie territory. They're just going to come back and like want 60 next time. But yes, like you just said, things deviate. Naniska's fighting Oba, but then here come a bunch of dudes, some backup for Oba. And Nawe sees them coming through like a, uh, kind of like a, like a gate, I guess, or like a tunnel. She chops a rope and this gate falls down, trapping Oba's backup behind this very heavy, I don't know what you call it, door, I guess. Like if this was like a castle, what would you call that? Yeah, the gate. The gate comes down. Okay. And so I was like, damn, that's a pretty impressive move. Nawe's pretty smart. Here's the thing though, pretty smart, but she could have been a heck of a lot smarter if she had just waited a hair longer and the the little spike parts of the gates come down right on a bunch of Oyo warriors' heads. I got very disappointed in the movie, Mac. I that could have possibly been the greatest markout moment ever if you just have like a bunch of Oyo warriors getting a gate to the head, but uh, missed opportunity. And so even though Nawe helps Naniska, after they get clear of the enemy and they're in the boats and they're walking back to Dahomey, Naniska like lights into Nawe and she's like, that wasn't part of the plan. Don't fucking deviate from the plan. This is not Nawe's army. This is the Agogie army. As they're walking away, I think it was Amenza who was like, look, Naniska, I would never criticize you in public, but you also deviated from the plan. You were not supposed to attack Oba. You were supposed to get back to the boats with us. And then this kid goes, the plan was always to kill Oba. Oba's this dude who hurt her very physically and obviously, you know, traumatized her in the past. She's going to fucking come after this dude's head. So they do fight, David. And this fight kind of sucks. And I think it sucks because, and I don't mean it sucks because it was like hard to watch. I just mean... Naniska kind of sucked in the fight. And I think she kind of sucked because she's obviously too emotional about this because she does not have a clear head. She wants Oba dead so bad. Uh, the impression I got was she's, you know, she's not using all of her senses and her well-trained battle skills to like deflect attacks and expertly chop this dude apart. She's too hot for this dude's blood. And because of that, Oba, who doesn't even recognize Naniska, is just like, oh, whatever, because he is a larger, you know, proven threat. And so he is able to use his size to, you know, almost kill Naniska, who does manage to escape. But yeah, it, it just shows, which I think is as cool, right? Because Naniska versus Oba, that's a heavyweight fight. And here we're getting sort of like round one of it, and it goes to Oba. I think it's a, we're setting up a good payoff for their fight later on. Yeah, you're setting up a, a good payoff, and you're also setting up a good obstruction for Naniska, because this is going to be the hurdle that she has to overcome. Like, you know she's capable of being a great warrior. Why is she only going at this at 50% speed? Well, she's got to, you know, she's got to fight off those demons if she wants to unlock her abilities. So uh, we'll, we'll see if it pays off later in the movie. Back at the kingdom, things are going well with Naniska's palm oil strategy and Gezo sees a future beyond slave trade. Meanwhile, time is running out for Oba who must maintain his pipeline of prisoners for slaves in order to keep traders like Santo, played by Hero Finds Tiffin, happy. Now he encounters another trader bathing in the lake the thankfully hunky Malik, played by Jordan Bolger. 
So when Naniska is showing off her palm oil cultivation efforts to Gezo, she starts like talking about her dreams for the future. And it wasn't until this moment, David, when I was like, oh no, a character talking about their dreams for the future. Is she going to die? Is Naniska going to die? And, and up until this point, I hadn't really been thinking about it. But then I started thinking like, okay, well, someone's going to die. We can't all live to see the end of this thing. Who's it going to be? Did you have any thoughts about this at this point in the movie? Like who's going to live? Who's going to die? I didn't. I had I had not put a put a brain on it. it. You know, by this point in the movie, I never thought at, at any point did I think um, Naniska would come off the table. Did I think she was uh, going to die for the sole thought that the movie's called The Woman King and she hasn't yet become The Woman King? I, th- I didn't think that would be a posthumous honor. So I thought she was going to be okay through the end. I didn't think Nawi's arc was going to end with her sacrificing herself in order to achieve. So I thought she was going to be okay. So that still left, you know, Amenza open. That still left uh, Izogi open. But I hadn't thought that that they would end up dying. I thought this was going to kind of be like Dream Team 92 and they would just shellac everybody. Well, if you remember in Dream Team 92, uh, when they played, I believe it was, who's Tony Kukoc's team? Croatia? Yeah, they killed Chris Mullen. The Croatians did. So there was that was your loss for the for the dream team. So Shante, Gezo's pretty wife, <laughs> comes. Not that Viola Davis isn't pretty, but that is Shante's seemingly her only purpose. You know, Gezo was like, hey, I'll lead my army and also uh, fucking get this palm oil going. But guess what? Naniska crushes it. She does it. The palm oil is amazing, right? And so Shante's like, oh, fuck, I need to get... Uh, right with Naniska because her star is on the rise. This interaction, it, it starts off with like a passive aggressive joke. I can't remember what it is. Well, what Shante says is, I hear you have had a victory. <laughs> Imagine like a World War II general comes and then like somebody doesn't do anything other than like sit around and be rich was like, oh, I've heard you have had a victory. Like, yes, thank you. Go fuck yourself. I'm so glad you pulled that. That that ha- that carries so much weight. She might as well have just said a little victory. Like, that's really how close it was. Which, by the way, that I think is the closing scene to Dirty Dozen is when they walk into the survivors and Ernest Borgnine's like, hey, I heard you went well. It's like, yeah, we lost 90% of our team. It was great. But yeah, you know, the palm oil strategy is going well. You know, you see an end in sight. So let's go check in on on the slave traders and see what they're doing. This is going to be our introduction to Santo. This is going to be our introduction to Malik. Santo is, oh man, what an introduction to this guy. You know, just the look of him. It's like blown out Orlando Bloom. You, you get the sense you're not going to like him. And then you see him being taken to the Dahomey uh, kingdom. And he's being carried on a hammock on a stick. Mac, I, the balls on this guy. I, never in movie history have I seen such a move. Yeah, I've never wanted someone to be dumped into a volcano faster. The fact that... You know, he's like, I don't can't be bothered to walk. You need to carry me in a hammock. It's stunning. I mean, it just goes to show how little he gives a shit about uh, human life, uh, I guess, or in African lives. But David, Santos number two is Malik. And Malik reveals that his dad uh, was, I guess, Portuguese, a white Portuguese man. And his mom was a black Dahomey lady. And so he, David, is kind of torn between these two worlds of where he can actually speak the Dahomey language, but also speaks Portuguese. He's working with a slave trader who's actively selling his own people. And I fucking hate his character, David, and he fucking sucks. And every time he's on screen, I fucking hate it. Because Malik is a hunk. He's a hunk, though, David. And that's his only goddamn purpose. 
He's a stupid fucking hunk. And here's the thing. I like hunks, David, because we, we're watching it. We're an action movie podcast. If I didn't like hunks, we wouldn't have made it one episode into this thing. I appreciate a good hunk. But I need a good hunk, not a fucking idiot who takes the entire movie to be like, hmm, slavery bad? I think he's plenty of hunk. I think he's hunking up because he's he's essentially just going to be the carrot that dangles in front of Naoi later where it's like, don't you want this life? And it, it's, you know, he's just hunky enough to say, oh, maybe, but he's just dumb enough to go, absolutely not. So I, I think he plays this well. I think you kind of have to have a character like this, you know, not unlike, oh, gosh, what's her face from RRR? Yeah. You know what? I thought Miss uh, Jenny, right? Jenny, you're thank you for that. Yes. I thought of her exactly because she is like a well-meaning white person who is nice, but doesn't really do as much as she could. And I feel like that is Malik as well. Now, I will say this about Malik. He does give someone for Nawe to dunk on. And Nawe's best dunks, she's got two of them. And we'll get to them. Trust me. She's got two moments in this movie that are, I, I laughed out loud at both of them. And they're both dunks on Malik. So he does serve a, a point. He's the other guy on a poster that Nawe is uh, fucking skying over as she uh, throws it down for two. Oh, hold on. And one, David. Oh, she got fouled and still made the hoop. There you go. Take it to the line. But so Malik is bathing, right, when Nawe meets up with him. And then I, I'm pretty sure she's like, all right, you know, go back to your people. But he's also naked, which I got to say, nice, nice move. So back at the kingdom, it is the final test before graduating to a Gojier. Nawe aces the challenge, but it is discovered that Nawe might be carrying a secret that only Naniska knows. That Nawe may be the daughter that Naniska gave up for adoption many years ago. Santo also lets Gezo know that without a supply of slaves to keep the traders happy, the Dahomey will be unprotected. Right back at you, says Gezo, who isn't taking shit from anyone. So this, David, is the graduation ceremony for the Gojier recruits. And they have to prove their mettle with a super deadly obstacle course, right? This trial it takes place in front of the king, Gezo. And John Boyega comes out, David, wearing just another amazing robe. At this point in my notes, I wrote robes, huh? Because say what you'll about John Boyega. He's crushing it with these robes. I'm watching this thing and I'm like, am I a robe guy from now on? Because look, these things, they, they're classy. They don't look like you're trying to put out some like weird, sexy creep vibe. You know, like, hey, let's hang out in robes. I can't describe it any other way. The man was made for robes, David. You're never going to billow the way John Boyega billows. So, you know, Shut keep up, that you don't know that. Forever. You don't know that. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm going to take these robes like a Frenchman, David. You can call me Robespierre. Anyway, so there, uh, I don't even want to hear it. Whatever you have to say of robes, it doesn't matter. Unless it's right on, Mac. Live your robe life, my robed king. <laughs> <laughs> so the first part of the, this trial is they're like, go. And then the Goji recruits have to run right into thorns. Okay. Do they have to run right into them? Can they just approach them gingerly? Because this got me, Mac. I almost marked out, but I, no. So like they run to the thorns and then the first girl you see, I can't tell if it's just the dust she's kicking up or if it's the blood spurting from her, but there's like a mist around her. And I was just like, no, uh, this is this might be the most graphic the movie has gotten. And it's for thorns in an obstacle course. Yeah, well, right before they take off into the thorns, as Ogie says, relentlessly, we will fight. And I think they're like, yeah, relentless. We got to go through these thorns. And yeah, so it, not great advice because instead of relentlessly, we should fight. It's like, hey. Okay, I know I said that, but for the thorns, just kind of, you need to ease your way through them because they're fucking sharp. Yeah, it was pretty tough. But there's a moment here, David. So the leaders of the race so far are Ode and Nawe, right? And Ode, the former Mahi prisoner turned Agogie, 
She's in second place, but Nawe's in first. But Nawe turns around and notices that Fumbe is like stuck in the thorns. And so Nawe gives up her lead to help Fumbe. And spoiler alert, Nawe still wins. But at the same time, you know, it was, it was a nice little moment of like, oh shit, we all go home where no one goes home, even though they're already at home. But yeah, a little bit of some more humility there from Nawe. Maybe she's getting it. You know, it, it's a nice compromise because, you know, it, it shows that she's breaking from the thing she's supposed to do, which is win the race. But she's also showing that it can be done, that you can go back, help your people, and still win the race. She kind of has to make up a little bit of time, though. You know, she helps out uh, her friend Fumbe. So now he makes it to the climbing wall where where Ode is already ahead. She's made it over the top, but she's climbing down. And now he decides to just jump from the top and make up some time. I almost marked out here. You know, the, she's she's running the race well, but it was it got a hell yeah out of me. It was like, hell yeah, you got to do what you got to do to make up that time. I feel like she could have climbed halfway down that wall and jumped. It seemed like a, I don't know. Think, Nawe, think. I just, uh, at that moment, I was like, I don't know if I'm on board with this Nawe character. You know, but this whole sequence, like, you know, once they get past the wall, they've got to get through the uh, the breakthrough and conquer portion of American Gladiators, where it's just some dudes with masks. I don't know if they get hired to do this or if they're just uh, local men from the village. But uh, this is a fun little obstacle course. Like, I kind of wish this was at a theme park somewhere. Yeah, it might look fun, except all the, the thorns and, and physical abuse. But David Nawe wins, right? And what does she win? She gets, uh, she does it in front of the king. And so Geza walks up and he's like, tell me your name. And she's like, Nawe. And he goes, you are as beautiful as you are fierce. If you were not so skilled at warfare, I would have made you a wife, which, uh, creepy, I guess. I mean, maybe that they all love this dude. Maybe that's a compliment. I was like, oh, okay, if you say so. But Nawe made it. She helped a friend. She showed her medal. And Niska is very pleased. Everyone's really happy. You know, they're cleaning up her wounds. And, you know, they're like, yeah, why'd you go back and help your friend? You know, it's crazy. What have you lost? And Nawe points at Aminza and she goes, you would not help your friend, uh, you know, Aminza if she fell down? And then Niska goes, Aminza, I would step on her head to win a foot race, which I loved it. <laughs> uh, and then Niska's awesome. Amenza's reaction, she gives a really great kind of side eye to her. I, I thought that, you know, in a movie devoid of funny moments, that was probably the funniest moment in the movie. Yeah, a great little line. And it was, it was fun to see Naniska like having some fun with Nawe. And it's like, oh, maybe their whole uh, Nawe doesn't know when to shut the fuck up. Maybe that's behind them. But uh, this is the part where, you know, Naniska's helping Nawe with her thorns. And she's like, make sure you get all of them. Make sure you get this one here, this one here, this one here. And so she sees a scar on Nawe's shoulder. And she asks her the story about that. And this this triggers a memory for Naniska because, you know, we come to find out that Naniska, you know, after her time with the Oyo, she was with child and she she hid this baby. She gave it up for adoption. She asked Amenza to to take it away, you know, to take it to an orphanage so she'll never have to think of it again. But before the the baby was given away, Naniska decided to, for some reason, I do not know, but I'm fine with it, to cut her baby open and bury a shark's tooth in in the uh, in the wound, so it'll heal up, and this uh, child will have a shark's tooth in them always. Now, David, this shark's tooth was from a necklace she was wearing. It wasn't just like she uh, reached uh, her hand into the mouth of a passing shark. Right. Yes, this was from her vacation in Hollywood, Florida. She had a souvenir and broke off a little piece of it. So she's going to go to uh, to Amenza, and she's going to ask her because you know she trusted Amenza to give up the baby for adoption and not tell her what she did with it. So now Naniska wants to know, what did you do with this baby? Mac, I, I don't know, even know if I'm supposed, if, if I should bring this up, what is the relationship with Naniska and Amenza? 
is there a relationship with Nanetsuke Nemenza? A romantic one? Yes. I didn't get that vibe at all. Okay. I, 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 this is the closest I came in the movie to thinking there might be because it's, and maybe that's me filling in the blanks, but it's such a tender moment between those two. And, and, you know, they have a few more throughout the, throughout the rest of the movie, but I had wondered, you know, for being a Gojie as long as they have sharing this type of things, is the movie trying to convey a shorthand that there was a relationship there? So if, if I'm reading too much into it, then that's fine with me. But in these scenes, in this scene for for Viola Davis, and then coming up here in a little bit, John Boyega, they're they're both putting on a clinic in these scenes. I think they're really they're acting the hell out of it. I feel Naniska's worry and and, and anxiety. I feel John Boyega's uh, "fuck you" attitude towards Santo. The, you know the the acting works for me in this movie. So they have a ceremony where they welcome these new recruits officially into the Agogia, and they do a thing where they like you know cut open their hands. And they each contribute a little bit of their own blood. And I hate stuff like that. I don't know why. I could watch them chop off someone's hand and eat it. But for some reason, cutting your own hand, that self-mutilation, even if it's for sisterhood and togetherness, I don't like it ever. But then Azogi gives a little speech and she's kind of, you know, gassing up Nawe a little bit. And I wrote down, Azogi is the heart. Because this is another, I just, she's really just coming across as like the, the heart of this tribe. But then at some point, Azogi starts thinking about her future. And she's like, you know, I, I, I want to be Miganon one day, which is the term for general. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And at this moment I wrote down, Oh no, it's okay. making plans. Cause again, like the, <laughs> the same thought I had when Naniska was talking about her future. I, the fact that Zoki is now looking past the end of this war, I'm now worried about a So in mind right now, it's a two person race towards death. It's either going to be a Zogi or Naniska. There's another meaning here between Nawe and useless hunk Malik. Like Malik is talking to her and he goes in for what we think is a kiss. But what Nawe was really doing was she's not coming in to steal Smooch, David. She was coming in to steal Malik's sword. And then she gives him this little knife-stealing smile like, oh, what did you want? I got your knife. And this is one of those dunks I was talking about, David. I just, I thought it was great. The way she was like, oh, what? Did you, <laughs> did you want this? And then just, what did you want to kiss me? But I stole your fucking knife. Great move. Great move by Nawe here. But David... This plan of Naniska to bury a shark tooth in a just-born baby, a, a newborn infant's arm, to mark it so if she ever encounters her later that she'll know. I, I didn't like a single part of this, David. <laughs> uh, it seemed like it would not work, right? Like if you stick a shark tooth in the arm of an infant, it doesn't instantly heal up. It gets infected or I just it blow, it just was like, that's stupid. Naniska just had a baby after being sexually assaulted and escaping an enemy camp. If she wants to take a, stick a shark's tooth in a, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not there to judge. But at the same time, it was fucking stupid. And I hated it. While I am with you, while I completely understand what you're saying, there's the moment when they're, uh, when Naniska and Naoi are in, in the baths together and Naniska removes the, the, the shark tooth. She, you know, grabs a knife, uh, cuts her open, pulls the shark tooth out. My reaction while watching the movie was, that's the raddest shit I've ever seen. Whether that was tongue-in-cheek or not, Mac, I'm going to count this as my third markout moment. David, when Mr. Blonde in, in Reservoir Dogs cuts off that dude's ear, I'll remember that from that movie. I did not like this at all. It's memorable, for <laughs> sure. The fact that she like cut open her little skin pouch and then inside was a shark's tooth is so fucked up that uh, it's definitely memorable. In fact, from then on in this in my notes, I just called Nawe Shark Tooth. Yes. It, it really took me out of it, though. I got to say, it just was like, what is this? Wait, what? And, and David, if there's like a 
some sort of like legend or if this kind of corresponds to a pre-existing story, uh, like, like a myth where someone does this kind of thing. I'm completely ignorant of that. So if there's like a different level this is working on, I, I, I admit I do not understand it. How, but if it's just working on me watching a movie level, ugh, big, big old what the fuck here. I don't get it. But anyway, I'm glad you liked it. I will not forget it. Good job, question mark. You know, you're right. In, you know, in the moment, I was thinking it was a bit of legend making where it's, you know, wow, you know, she was tough enough to have a shark's tooth in her shoulder. But, you know, talking about it now, I think it is sort of, uh, it's a bit of legend making for the benefit of Naniska. I think, you know, it's a shorthand for Naniska to fill in those blanks and say, oh, wow, now he has had it tough. I, I, I should know, you know. Does it still add up? Does it still make it worth it? Perhaps not. But, uh, you know, again, it worked for me. Yeah, like if you're telling the story to someone, it's like Naniska put a shark's tooth in her daughter and then found it later. You'd be like, yeah, 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 good story. It's kind of like with the, uh, what's that book, the Bible? <laughs> God plucks out Adam's rib and then makes it into Eve. And you're like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But imagine you're watching a movie where someone ripped a rib out of someone else and then that rib grew into another human. Thanks, David Cronenberg. You know what I mean? That would be disgusting. Was that not the passion of the Christ? I don't know. I didn't see it, but I think it's the plot of Dead Ringers. Uh, I think it grows into... <laughs> Jeremy Irons and also Jeremy Irons. All right. So with the approaching Oyo army expecting the Dahomey to defend from behind their palace walls, Naneska decides to take the fight to them and destroy their camp. It's an action set piece we'll call Dahomey versus Oyo, a.k.a. Oh, no, Oyo. So, uh, you know, the preparation for this, you know, they're, they're, they're see, they see the, uh, the Oyo encampment from afar. They see them coming. They know they're a few days out. So they decide, let's go on the offensive. Let's... Go there a few days ahead of time. Let's make some explosives. It's a little uh, preparation montage. It's a hype montage. Naniska has a little bit of a speech here to kind of pump up the crowd. It pumped me up. This is going to be my fourth mark out moment. Earlier in the movie when Nawe did her little prank with the exploding uh, dummy heads, Naniska's like, how'd you do that prank? And Nawe's like, you don't need guns to use gunpowder. You can kind of put gunpowder in everything. And then... While they're looking at the enemy, while they, I mean, like uh, Naniska and the male general, Mignon, I guess, they're like, uh, oh, they expect us to hide. We're going to go get him. And he's like, well, how are we going to go get him? And she's like, you don't need guns to use gunpowder. And she's like standing in front of a termite mound. And I was like, all right, leave it at that. Because what happens later on, David, is they do stick gunpowder in these termite mounds. The Oyo army happens to camp out right next to all these fucking... Um, Termite mounds, some of them are fake. And they light the gunpowder on fire, it explodes, and a good portion of the Oyo army is instantly hurt by these exploding termite mounds. I kind of wish that they had not showed us that, because then it would have been like, I have a plan, watch us do the plan. Now here's the plan. I feel like it would have been a lot cooler moment if they hadn't let us onto anything. So no, I did not mark out. I do think them preparing for the battle was pretty cool because I did like a sword training slash dance kind of number that looked really badass. This is a little bit of like, you told me before you showed me, I wish you had just showed me. For sure. I get that. I think, you know, one of the bigger drawbacks of this movie is that it's too steeped in realism. I know we just spent a good portion talking about a shark tooth and a baby shoulder, but like, I think as far as like the, the combat, as far as like the hand-to-hand -hand combat, the, you know, the use of explosives... It all feels like it's steeped in realism. That is what a real explosion would look like. But you don't get the grandness of a fight scene. So while I did appreciate that, I do understand that like this could have been bigger. This could have been bloodier. This could have been on, on a more epic scale. 
But we get to see the Agogias in action. And guess what? They're pretty fucking badass. In fact, uh, Nawe, a.k.a. Sharktooth here, she was doing a little complaining about having to learn how to use the rope. But David, she learned how to use that fucking rope. Hell yeah, she did. She uh, she redboxed a copy of Prey and decided to make herself a rope chete. And this is going to be... Well, you know what? The whole there's a there's a bit before we see Anawi with a rope shetty. I believe it's Ode. Uh, Ode's struggling with uh, with an Oyo warrior. You know she's overpowered. This guy is huge. She's diminutive in in relation, but she gets him on the ground and just goes twenty one gun salute on his Achilles heels. Just like you know, starts cutting him up, cutting him up, cutting him up, and then you see Anawi come in with the rope shetty assist and just mow down other people. This is gonna be my my fifth mark out moment. It was just. It was those two finding that extra gear in order to be able to hold their own in this battle. I, I was I was very appreciative of this moment. There's a cool sequence here where Nawe is using her rope chete and you know she's doing like some cool spins and like moving it around. And it is like some a cool piece of action choreography. But for the most part, this battle kind of left me like wanting. And I, I think what it is is kind of like what you're talking about, where a little too steeped in realism. I feel like there's some opportunities here for some very like stunning and memorable visuals. And I just don't think they happen. And maybe they're going for a different kind of style of storytelling, which is fine. But I, I wanted to be impressed here. And I, I guess I was not. Oba realizes that the Oyo are losing this thing. When he's retreating, here's a retreat. Oba tells one of his other soldiers, he's like, grab the Agogie. And at first I was like, it seems like he's taking the dead Agogie. What he was doing was he was grabbing the um, wounded ones And we realize later the reason he's grabbing them is because he feels like those are the individuals he can make the most money off of in slave trade. So basically, Oba's like, oh, fuck, we lost. Uh, I can't go back to my Oyo king. And, you know, after losing, he'll kill me. So tell you what, we're just going to grab as much loot as we can grab, which in this case are people, and then try to sell them at the slave port and then just, I don't know, go live our lives somewhere. It's definitely like a, another kind of like, damn, Oba really sucks. He really fucking sucks. <laughs> but he also is beaten. Like, he was this great Oyo general, and now he lost, and now he's just kind of like a slave trader. Like, that's, you know, it, that's still pretty evil, but it, it definitely, like, diminishes him. Like, he he lost. And I was definitely super hoping here and expecting a Naniska Oba fight, and we did not get it. However, something else that happens is that Nawe bumps her head. She's unconscious. We see her wake up on the back of a cart. She's a prisoner. The Oyo got her. They're taking her to the slave port. Oh, no. Yes, Naoi and Izogi are captured despite the Agogie victory. Oba and his band of losers no longer have a home, so they must pay for passage, which means trying to sell the captured Agogie, including Naoi and Izogi. Izogi devises a plan for escape, but is killed when she doesn't stick with the plan. Okay, so the beginning of this chunk... Naniska and, and the rest of the Agogie make it back home, but then they realize, well, well shoot, you know, now he's captured. So by extension, let's go save everybody else. And she presents this plan to Gezo. And I think it's Shante is like, we can't listen to this lady. We can't listen to Naniska. Uh, she's this, she's that. But among her, her list of complaints, she says Naniska has been ruined by the enemy. That is... That's one of those where you hear the bar stool, like when you, when you hear them scooch out, like the bar fight is ready to happen. Those are some fighting words, ma'am. Yeah. I'm basically the king is ready to make her the woman king, which I guess is like vice king, David. It's a king in law. No, that's King Ralph. I forget. 
when I first heard Woman King, I was like, oh, she becomes king, but not really. He like appoints her Woman King. I guess it's like queen, but not. It's interesting. I, I didn't fully grasp it. But basically, like after that victory, you, you made it. You're Woman King now. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was like a co-king, uh, you know, because they, they had the exposition walk and talk earlier where they're kind of giving a little background into the position of the, oh, what the heck is it called? Capogito, right? Yeah, yes. something like that. Oh, uh, yeah, that's going to be the Woman King. And they say, you know, it's steeped in tradition. It was, you know, it was honoring the, the two halves of the kingdom initially. There was... Uh, Lisa and somebody else, I can't fucking remember, but they're like, yeah, we're trying to restore that balance to to the kingdom. So uh, I, I think it's a co, co-title. We'll see. I mean, the thing with Gezo is in this movie, he's like, yeah, we'll sell some slaves. And then Niska's like, hey, man, maybe we shouldn't um, deal with slaves anymore. And, he, and Gezo's like, oh, we won't sell our own people. And then Niska's like, we're all our own people, dude. Think about that. And I just get the feeling that Gezo would go back and sell slaves kind of at the drop of a hat. Like, I never got the idea that he's a true believer in this. He's just like, fine, all right, if you say so. Uh, it does seem like slave trading kind of sucks, but if we got to do it, we got to do it. And so later in the in the movie, when she sits on her throne as Woman King, the Woman King throne is not as tall as the Gezo King throne. I don't know if I'm supposed to read into that. It just made me think, like, it, it, I, don't, I don't know what the rank of, of Woman King is, but I don't think it's as high as the rank of, of Man King. But whatever. We're in the uh, slave pens here where our prisoners of war, including Nawe, are being held. And Nawe looks over and she sees a Zogi? What the fuck? David, did you see a Zogi get captured or is this news to you as well? This was news to me as well. And I think it was news to a Zogi. You know, I think, you know, it's supposed to be news to everyone because a Zogi just seems dazed. She seems out of it and defeated and resigned to her fate. So, yeah, no, I was I was surprised to see her there. And I'm like, how the fuck did a badass like Azuki get captured? But David, we quickly find out she got hurt. Holy cow. Yeah, she broke her arm. So there's like, you know, bones sticking out. Not sticking out. It did break skin. But uh, yeah, she's disjointed now. Yeah, she basically has a shark's fin on her arm. And that shark's fin is a made out of her broken bone. So Mac, uh, I got a surprise for you in this PG-13 movie. I am going to have a JFC moment when they push her arm back into place. David, I'm right there with you. I also had a JFC whenever she was like, push my fucking bow. Yeah, I just, oh, so fucking gross. Jesus fucking Christ, that's disgusting. But right before this happens, Nawe's like, we got to get out of here. And Azoki is basically like, ah, we're not getting out of here. My arm's broken. I'm going to, I guess we'll just slit our own throats. And like, I understand that Azoki is vulnerable. Man, but something about Azoki just like giving up here just felt kind of, I don't know, it's like bullshit. I just like, this is not the character... I have met in this movie. The the Zogi that wants to give up does not feel consistent. You know, this feels like a little too much screenwriter class taking over because like you said, you know, Zogi is going to be the heart of this movie. So to watch her be so defeated, you know, we're toward the end of the second act. You're going to feel that and it's going to be, you know, up to Naoi to jumpstart the heart of the movie. But, you know, we just spent, you know, the, the first hour and a half feeling a certain way about this badass warrior and now we're being told kind of the opposite. Yeah. It, it's, it, it was a bit disappointing to see her in that jail. And yet he use a wrestling term. It's kind of like they were using Azogi to put over Nawe because Nawe in this moment is like, shut the fuck up Azogi. You can do it. I believe in you. What did you tell me? Fight relentlessly. Uh, go GA forever. And Azogi's like, yeah, you're right. The student has become the teacher. I am now on board with you. And it's like, we don't need to gas up. Nawe anymore. I already know she's awesome. 
Look, and I'm not saying that Izoki sucks because of this. If I was captured and about to be sold into slavery and my arm was broken and like kind of sticking out, I also would be pretty uh, down about it. But Nawe then pushes in Azogi's bone, right? And I guess, you know, it hurts a little bit, but we're, we're, it doesn't hurt that much because Azogi's not even like breathing hard after that. She's not even like, ooh, this fucking hurts. She's just kind of like, yeah, that fixed it. And so later on, you know, she's like trying to hide the fact that her arm is broken. And like Santo comes back and he's like, you know, looking at her teeth and squeezing her arm, just really degrading things you do to a human to see if she's like a valuable slave because Abo is now trying to sell her. And like, I get that you're, you're pretending you don't want to give away your arm is broken. It's so you're pretending it's all fine. But if someone squeezes an arm that was broken like the day before, I would at least wince, you know, unless you're like Wolverine, <laughs> a magic mutant man, then maybe you wouldn't. <laughs> but I don't know. It just, uh, that arm healed pretty quick. But, you know, they they use that opportunity when she's like getting felt up by Santo. That's going to be their moment of escape. You know, once they get bought, they're going to make a run for it. They're going to, you know, don't stop until you hit water. Izogi doesn't, uh, you know, she breaks with the plan. She... Uh, she sees, is it now in danger? Is it somebody else? But uh, I don't remember. Maybe I blacked it out because the Zogi gets fucking shot and I hated it. Uh, yeah, you know, at, at some point during the big battle, I was like, oh man, I hope Zogi doesn't like die here saving Nawe because that would suck. That's kind of what happens. I, th- I think she does die trying to give Nawe some time and she gets shot by some rando dude and it sucks. It just, you know, sucks that Zogi dies. And then Nawe is going over to Zogi's body. And she's like crying and Oba, who's now just like a formerly a general, now just a slave trader. You know, he, he had just sold Izogi for 150 reals or reals. I don't know. And now she's dead. And so Malik is standing there because he doesn't want anyone to kill Nawe. And Oba turns to him and he's like, hey, I'll sell you Nawe for a hundred, which is like, wow, dude, that's pretty cold blooded. Like, you know, after your only reaction to the death scene is like, hey, I'll give you a discount on the little one. Like it just, it's <laughs> it's pretty bad. But yeah, Malik does buy Nawe here, which, you know, he's not buying her for bad purposes. I think he's buying to keep her safe. But there's a moment here where where Santo is like looking at the captured Agogier and they make their move or whatever. Malik is like, hey, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you, uh, you know, going to buy these people? And Santo says, stay out of this. Count yourself lucky you were not on the block. Which, you know, wow. Casey and think Santo sucks. You now know he turbo sucks. If he dies later, I'm not saying he will, David. But if he does, yay. But Naniska implores Gezo to let her lead a rescue mission to recover the captured Agoje, but he denies her request. She sets off on her own in defiance of her king, but is eventually joined by Amenza and a whole army of Agoje. Naniska arrives at the port and learns that Izogi was killed and now he is missing. So Naniska has a new plan. Burn this place to the goddamn ground. Yeah, so it's about like, I don't know. I thought it was like 12, 12 to 20 Agogie join her in her rescue mission. But she shows up and she sees a surviving Agogie and she's like, hey, what's going on? And the surviving Agogie is like, yeah, Nawe's gone. Naniska says, all right, burn this entire place to the ground. And she says something along the lines of, take no prisoners, which David that's a fucking badass line. And this movie wasted it because I feel like this line was kind of like tossed into the wind. Like the, the visual of it, like, you know, the emotional ups and downs of this movie, this is definitely a big emotional beat. Her turning me like no prisoners. I don't need her to be like super cheesy and like shout it into the camera Gandalf style. Like you shall not pass. 
I feel like Viola Davis, man, she's got the gravitas to deliver the fuck out of this line. And I don't feel like the movie let her. Now, David, we're talking about this movie as an action movie. I mean, you could say it's like dramatic action or whatever, but and as an action movie, there are opportunities here, even if they seem like a, you know, kind of over the top, there's definitely opportunities to hit some home run balls. And this is one of them. And you're just not hitting them. Visually, there's some key moments which they we just don't pay off. I think when you're thinking about an action movie, when you're thinking about it visually, I feel like you need to have a couple splash page moments. Like if you were making a comic book, David, and you have like, you know, your action or whatever, and then there are little panels, then you're like, okay, this is an image. This is going to end up a poster on some kid's wall. Splash page. This is one panel per page. It's just an entire image. And there's there's moments where the visuals can really pay off the emotional beats, and I don't feel like they do as often as I would have liked. And this is a moment where it's like, man, I could close my eyes and picture Viola Davis saying that, and I really can't. I feel like she was like kind of like half turning or something, but like, man, I, that, that, was, that could have been an opportunity for just a really like, whoa, hell yeah. That's a line I wanted to mark out at, at David, and I didn't come close. I, I get that, I, and I, I completely understand the disappointment there. Um, I, it, this is, you know, this is a tough movie overall, especially like you said, you know, to judge it from an action perspective, because you know, for me, I, you know, I, I mark out quite a bit throughout this movie. I, I've still got a few more coming up, I do believe, but it, it's going to be mostly a payoff of the character development and the performances. That's not something that's the same for every viewer, like you said, you know, like a big splash page moment or like a big you know, a big kill line. So yeah, this is kind of a tough one to gauge. You know, you want to give Naneska credit in this moment because she has bigger things to do than deliver a kill line, but this is also a motion picture that I paid money for. You can deliver a kill line. So yeah, I I get where you're coming from. I mean, and also, again, maybe I just like Viola Davis too much. Maybe she's just like too good in this role and I want the direction to match her intensity and it's maybe not. I mean, because Viola Davis, man, she can like look at you like she's leveling a cannon at you. And then the next moment, on a dime, her look can display like a just a depth of emotion where you're just like, oh, the pain you have felt. So, I mean, she's great. You know, if, if it's just the movie not living up to her greatness, uh, that's okay, I guess. And we're really standing hard for her right now. So that's uh, that's good, I guess. I don't know. I, I, think she, I think she earns it in this movie. And I think she deserves it. She even has a moment, a nonverbal moment where she's getting everybody out of the cages. You know, she's releasing the prisoners. And it's time to, you know, to wreck shop. And she she does kind of the, you know, eyes on me. The, you know, I'm going to point to my eyes and I'll point to your eyes. One of the best in the biz. Like, I'm watching this as an audience member going, okay, oh, Viola Davis is recruiting me into battle. Well, I guess I better go. So the Agogie are going to set fire to everything and kill everyone while Naniska seeks out Oba for one last fight to the death. Naniska defeats Oba, but is overpowered by some slavers when Naui returns from becoming her own woman king to assist her fellow Agoje in battle. The Oyo and the slavers are defeated, the trade port is burned to the ground, and Naui sees Malik one last time before returning to her home among the Agoje. Great sequence. I, I, I like this one. This is, you know, they're burning stuff to the ground. They, there's re- some really great shots. Amenza's going down this alley, going down this hallway. You know, it's just... Uh, attacking people left and right. Well, David, this movie is starting to lose me a little bit at this point. And I feel like watching it now, I was kind of in wrap it up mode because in the previous battle, they had defeated, they being the, the Agogie, had defeated their enemies, the Oyos. And the Oyos are basically like, hey, we're done, right? Their leader, uh, Oba, he's like, I cannot go back to the Oyos or they're going to kill me. And so this mission that they're on right now is to rescue the missing Agogie. And they find out Izogi's dead. 
we know that Nawe is safe because Malik is basically going to let her go. You know, I'm, I'm no longer worried about Nawe. They're on a mission right now that's kind of needless. Like it doesn't, they're, you know, and so when they get there, they're like, okay, new mission, uh, burn this to the ground. And now I'm going to get my revenge on Oba. But at this point, Oba is not the threat he was 20 minutes ago in the movie. He's kind of a diminished Oba. You know, I wanted this like fight, this payoff fight, and I thought they set it up well. But then by Oba taking that big defeat and he's clearly like, He's lost his swagger. Their fight, you know, still good. It just, it lost its punch to me. And, and this movie has definitely has other things on its mind necessarily than besides action. But with an action movie, with the, with the fights, you kind of want them to build. And I don't necessarily need them to build like, you know, scale wise or something like that. Like, oh, this one, uh, Naniska kills two dudes and in the final fight, she kills 300. You know, like take that Spartan. <laughs> but like, you can also just yeah. have them build emotionally. But at this, it's kind of like an emotional letdown because yeah, man, her like being like, you know what? Fuck it. No more slave trade. Like we'll get rid of all of it. That's awesome. And the fact that she wants to get revenge on Oba, that's awesome. But that again, was not her plan five minutes ago. The fact she's like, oh, I'll do these things out of like convenience almost. It, it, it kind of, the movie was like, hey, real quick, remember these things. I'm like, oh, okay. It didn't, this final action sequence did not, it didn't build for me as, as much as I would have liked it to. You make a very good point. You absolutely do. You know, the, I think this movie is relying more on a catharsis, you know, in the defeat of Oba, because, you know, this is going to be the completion of Nanissa's arc. You know, she, part of the, her motivation for going on this mission is because she finally was able to interpret the bad dream that she had, you know, where they had to consult the nuts. You know, she realizes that, you know, she thought she was the the victim in the nightmare. It turns out she was the beast in the nightmare and the victim was was the part of her that she had that she had bottled away. And so this this fight serves as closure. This fight serves as her defeating the demons that have been plaguing her for so long and talking about it. That's very nice. But, you know, talking about it in the context of an action movie, it it, it doesn't quite work. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you. You know, this the Oba fight, you know, you're building to this this big the, again, this big catharsis, and it doesn't quite live up to the buildup. But there's some other stuff that works for me in this. You know, you go, you check in on Malik, you check in on, he's getting to the boats, him and Santo, and they're, they've got some captives with him, they're taking off. But then Malik has a moment of realization where, man, you've still got the captives tied up. Like, you're still treating them like captives, you know? So he he decides to cut the ropes on them and, and set them free. And of course, the first thing to do is is tear Santo to pieces, like he like he's uh, you know like they're zombies. This is going to be a markout moment for me. I know it's very you know it's a layup as far as the movie's concerned. You know it was very easily telegraphed, but I I, I do like the payoff on this one. I do like that Malik has a moment of you know where he's able to contribute to the cause overall. Yeah, I didn't mark out, but it was a really cool scene. So Santo was like, no, don't go, slaves, stay and be my slaves. And then they just take him away and they drown him in the tide, like the the super low water. They just hold him down into like, an, I don't know, an inch or two of water and drown him. And it was such like a hardcore murder that was like, oh, damn. Of course, Santo fucking deserved it. But that like low water drowning, that was harsh and it was pretty cool. At the same time, and I'm being a little picky here, but... I would have liked a, a little, just a moment where, and, and I'm already punching up, I guess, but a moment where uh, Santo will like, help me Malik. And then maybe the people carrying away Malik, you know, Santo look at Malik like, uh, can we take this dude? And then Malik just nodding and then they kill him. So, I mean, Malik was active in releasing the captive. I wanted him to be a little active in killing Santo because I feel like Malik is pretty passive in this movie, which you didn't get passive building those pecs, my man, you know? 
Spend a little <laughs> less time on the on the bench and a little bit more time uh, uh, not being uh, involved in the slave trade. But we go back to to Naui and Naneska. There's going to be a moment here where after uh, after Naneska defeats Oba, which by the way, that's going to be another JFC moment because Naneska gets stabbed through the forearm with a knife. And then she still uses that knife to deal a, a blow to Oba. That's that's nuts. But the, some some traders or some slavers are going to sneak up. They're going to have Naniska kind of two on one. And here comes Naui. She's going to step in. She's going to take over and defend her mama against the, the attack. The you know the the student has become the master of this thing. This will be my seventh markout moment. I, I the movie built it in such a way that the payoff was satisfying for me. Uh, this was Naui's moment of growth. But then after all of that. Uh, we we get one last look at Malik at the shore, and and the Agogie are getting ready to leave, and now he spots Malik from afar, and she gives him one last smile that says, "Thanks for the sex. I'm never gonna see you again." And that was very satisfying to me, Mac. You know what? If if uh, Malik's an idiot, might as well be a sex idiot. You know what I mean? Man, ain't that the truth? So Naniska, Nawi, and the rest of the Agogie return triumphant, having put down the Oyo threat. Gezo is upset with Naniska for disobeying him, but damn it, Nani, you get results. Gezo decides to appoint Naniska to Kapojito, or Woman King, to the delight of the kingdom. Nawi and Naniska have an emotional moment in private at the offering to Azogi, but then choose to dance it out together at a ceremony for Naniska, the Woman King. She did it! She had her cake, and she ate it too. You know, just just a nice little wrap-up of the movie, the Agogie return home. This is going to be a full circle moment for Nawi, because we go from the beginning of the movie where the, the the people in the kingdom were bowing their heads at the returning warriors. You know, they weren't good enough to even to even gaze at them. And now Nawi is one of those warriors and her father is is bowing his head. That was a nice moment. I, I really appreciated that. You eat that. You eat that, Dad. <laughs> uh, you know, and then you get to the, the end of the movie. Nawi and Naniska are at the offering and they're they're having a moment where Naui is sort of apologizing for being Naniska's daughter, for being half Oyo blood, for, you know, for being this burden on Naniska, you know, whether she knew it or not this her entire life. And man, oh man, I, you know, I didn't mark out in this because it's a drama moment, but I marked my damn eyes out. I just, you know, the, the way this movie is still able to balance a message of like generational trauma and still deliver a pretty decent action movie. I, I, I got to give this movie a lot of credit for a, for a bunch of stuff that is not action. It was interesting conversation, and it's still kind of just like, Nawe is just not, I don't know, she's kind of frustrating, though. And, and I get it. It's not that it doesn't make sense. Because Naniska pours her heart out, and Nawe just kind of bails. And I get that it's like a lot for Nawe to process. And then when she comes back later to the dance sequence, you know, she calls Naniska mother, and it's like, oh, they did it. They finally breached it. Here goes the relationship. Could you have given her a little taste of that? Like, when she, Naniska first, like you know, laid herself bare instead of just being like, hey, peace out. Just, I don't know. But that's not a way for you. I guess she's got a lot of growing up to do. I guess, David, this is growing up. <laughs> it was weird at the end of the movie that they played Blink-182 over the dance scene. But using actual instruments of the time, I thought it was terrific. By the way, that final dance at the end, I was like, um, it was, I don't know, that was a really cool shot. I wish there was a little bit more of it. And David, that is the legend of the woman king. All right, David, how many moms in this thing? How many markout moments did you have in The Woman King? Man, this movie saw me coming. I had seven. I, I enjoyed a lot of moments in this movie. Uh, yeah, I was the perfect audience for it. How about you, Mac? I had Dose, um, strong two. Is this someone's favorite movie, David? Oh, I think 
kids, you know, I, I still maintain that this is the kind of movie that'll get shown at schools. Maybe not in history class. You're absolutely right. Maybe in just like a culture, world cultures class, maybe even an art class. But I could see a kid really looking forward to seeing this at school and becoming uh, their favorite movie by proxy the same way that like Glory was my favorite movie for a time. Yeah, I think it could be someone's favorite movie. I think the good parts of it are really good. All right, David, time for punch-ups. We're the Ultimate Script Doctors. Everybody knows that. How would you fix this movie, David? How would you punch it up? I don't know. I don't have a lot of spots. You know, the the performances are really good. The production is is really good. Maybe like a moment of anachronism. Maybe just something to kind of like tie it to contemporary society or culture. Like one of Santo's, you know, friends sees uh, Amenza, you know, she's spinning with a spear and she's doing all these really cool moves. And so he sends a telegraph overseas and he's like, hey, stop. It's it's your it's your cousin Marvin Barry. Stop. Uh, do you remember that new dance you're looking for? How about this? And you know, just something to to get people interested and you know and and, and see a little bit of themselves in it. How about you, Mac? Do you have any punch ups? A couple things I would do to fix this up. I, I, as I already mentioned, build up that final fight. I want that final fight to be you know if not if not the logistical climax of the movie, like whoa, that was a really big fight. Then at least make it like an emotional payoff of the movie and I, I feel like it kind of waffled on that a little bit also that final dance at the end when they won everyone's happy play some credits over that i want to see these people dancing they did it they went through hell that dance is fun david seeing these people who you know we've seen as ultimate warriors not the ultimate warrior from wrestling he was a fucking creep but these people that are like you know amazing uh warriors to see them just having fun. Yeah, I want to have fun too. I want to live in that moment. Make that dance sequence longer. Also, more action movie shots and the visuals. But David, my main punch up here is I, I was doing a little research on this movie. Naniska, there might have been a real person named Naniska, but her character is a creation, which, which is fine. But Gezo, the king, in this movie, it seems like he is talked into discontinuing the slave trade. And then he becomes a convert and he is an opponent of slavery and he's proud that Dahomey no longer deals in, in the slave trade. However, in real life, uh, Gezo was 100% pro-slaves and the Dahomey empire was a huge part of the slave trade, which, David, is a pretty big thing to change. Like, imagine if we're learning about the Civil War and Robert E. Lee's like, hey, hey, whoa, I fight for who? You know, like, it just, that kind of thing, either deal with it or make a new character. If Naniska is a composite character, then you can kind of make Gezo a stand-in as well. Change his name. He could just be King Dezo. That would have been enough for me. But naming him after this dude who was pretty pro-slavery and having him be anti-slavery, that's a little too much of a historical inaccuracy. For, I, I, it's hard for me to take this movie seriously, which sucks, David, because the Zagujie tribe apparently was a real tribe. Hearing more about these stories, I think is pretty awesome. So I, I wish that that part of it had not been as kind of sugar-coated or whatever you want to call it, glazed over. Man, I'm really, a lot of food metaphors here, as it had been. Well, you know, it's it's a continuation of the conversation we had with RRR, where, you know, the, the politics or the, or the real story behind something might be different than what is being presented. But if the end result is a better message or a better movie that gets out to the audience, then is it a fair trade? I, 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 I certainly don't have an answer on that conversation. I think it's worth having. Yeah, I think it's worth having too. And I think it depends on the story because RR was definitely like an over-the-top kind of the legend of these two people. And as long as we're telling the legend of the woman king, 
then go ahead and make it a little bit more legendary. You know, change it to a different character and have it be more of legend. Because if you're trying to ground it in reality, there's certain things you cannot change. If they made Gezo have antlers, you'd be like, well, I don't think the real Gezo had antlers. But if you have him be an abolitionist, that's a, he better be an abolitionist. It's just, it's, I hope that when someone makes a movie out of my life, they take one of my more, my worst qualities and just boop, flip it right around. That would be great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Maria Bello, star of stage and script. Fair enough. No, uh, excellent points. I, I, I agree with you in that regard. All right, I'll get off my soapbox, David, and we can get into uh, the Punch Mountain Video Store. The Punch Mountain Video Store, David, is an all-action movie video store. We have three copies of The Woman King. What subsections of action would you stock this movie in? So I am going to say historical action, but not accurate action. It's just, it's a it's a movie that took place in the past. <laughs> so let, let's go with that. Ladies Kicking Ass will be my second, uh, will be my second copy. Uh, my third copy is going to go under in case you missed it for the time being. I am encouraged by the Netflix numbers. I am encouraged that that people are, are watching this movie in droves. But uh, in case you did miss it, uh, I do want to draw attention to it that way. That all sounds great to me. I have one small suggestion. Maybe instead of calling it Ladies Kicking Ass, we call that section Smashing the Patriarch. Ooh, I love it, Mac. Okay, David, it's come down to the heart of the matter, as the great Don Henley sang. Uh, we got to determine the position of the Woman King on Punch Mountain itself, the definitive ranking of action movies. As a reminder, David, at the summit right now, the top of the mountain, we have the top five, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, The Raid 2, The Matrix, Prey, and RRR. The base of the mountain, we have Pasture 57, Deadly Prey, Poseidon Adventure, at spots 16, 17, 18, and at 19, on the visitor center, in the gift shop, right next to those board license plates, you know it, it's Chappie. Where would you rank this movie, David? I've got I've got I've got a wide range on this one. I could go as high as somewhere in the neighborhood of Prey RRR, and I could go anywhere below that. And and, and I'll tell you what I mean. You know, this is this is a movie that worked on me. You know, I, I bought the character development, I bought the writing on it, I bought into the realism of it. But I also know that that's those are all qualities that could also conceivably hurt it on the mountain. You know, this is not a, a slam bang action movie. This is not wall to wall action. And, you know, it's. It's trying to tell a story and it has some action elements in it, but the action elements in concert with the characters and with the performances, it worked for me. Yeah. I mean, Hard Target, Dread the Rock, no one is calling those Oscar Best Picture snubs, right? So, I mean, uh, which is, uh, you know, some of the takes on The Woman King. So it definitely, yeah, it has, has more on its mind than just action, but at the same time, it's not necessarily as focused for me in terms of delivering that Action excellence. Wow, that's not a real thing. The, that some of these other movies that are higher on the mountain are. So yeah, it's it's a great movie. I mean, is but we're talking about the definitive ranking of action movies, so it may not be as high as people would expect, but I'd say it's definitely a, a solid pick, you know, for towards the upper half of the mountain for sure. Oh my goodness, David, look out for those rocks because they're falling off the mountain and they're revealing the golden letters. And as we could see, as we could see, I'm from California, David. Uh, <laughs> As we can see, the Woman King is going to be number nine below the rock and above Top Gun Maverick. A solid showing for a very enjoyable movie. I'm happy with it. Very much so. David, you hear that noise? Oh my God, the Woman King's after me. No, David, that's not a horn calling us to battle. That is a horn calling us to action. On this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the Houston Food Bank. 
The Houston Food Bank is the nation's largest food bank, distributing food to 600 relief charities in 18 Southeast Texas counties and feeding 800,000 people each year. The Houston Food Bank also provides community services ranging from nutrition education to assistance with food stamp applications and hands-on job training. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to the Houston Food Bank. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation. Up to a certain amount, obviously, just in case any bots out there want to bankrupt us. Fuck you, bots. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air because we're like that. I live in Austin. Uh, David is in Denver, but his hometown is Houston. So we decided to give to that food bank. If you want to check out a food bank closer to you for opportunities to donate or volunteer, please do. But for more information on the Houston Food Bank or to donate directly to them, visit houstonfoodbank.org. Folks, don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, from 2008 and directed by Lexi Alexander, we're watching Punisher Warzone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.